Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hey, Pippa. Okay, pop quiz. All right. What would you think I meant if I said that you beat your face to the gods? Oh, um, <laughs> beat your face to the gods. I, I would imagine, like, hysterical screaming <laughs> at the sky, like it's raining, and you're just, like, beating your chest and beating your face with your hands. Okay, great, great. It's, yeah. Great guess. Um, what about if I said, let's have a kiki? A kiki. I think, like, maybe let's have a chat. Ooh, not too far off. Is that close? What would you think if I said, you look sickening? (laughs) I would think that the sight of my face uh, nauseates you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would think. That's fair enough. Uh, Some are closer (laughs) than others. But if you don't know what we're talking about, good news, because today's episode of Word Bomb, we are talking about drag and drag slang and looking at many of the words that have made the leap from drag culture to the mainstream in great part because of RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, so I've watched RuPaul's Drag Race a total of <laughs> one time. And something I noticed about the show, though, is that not only was it like super out there, it was like listening to... A totally different language sometimes. I totally have been there. I've watched a few seasons of the show now, and it was interesting to see how many of these words have become common parlance, especially for people in Generation Z, or for the Canadian listener, (laughs) Generation Z. Right. We can't decide which way to say it. Z? Generation Z sounds so weird. It sounds horrible. (laughs) People born between 1995 and 2015. Let's... uh, it's not as pithy, but let's call them that. Sure. So uh, that puts us just a few years out of that bracket because mm-hmm. I was born in 91. Me too. You too. It's weird how close we are to being in that generation, mm-hmm. but how shockingly out of the loop we are. It's very true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's start with the actual word drag itself. Yeah. So drag, as most people know, is a type of performance that plays with gender. Most people have heard of, like, drag queens, usually men dressed as women, or drag kings, which are often women dressed as men. But there are also so many ways of doing drag that do not deal with, like, the gender binary, which we will talk about later in the episode. Right. Um, The word drag itself, Mm -hmm. um, this is according to the Oxford English Dictionary. It's been around since 1388. It's a long time, but it wasn't used in the sort of performance context until around the 19th century. So before it's like dragging something on the ground. Sure. And there's a bit of a debate about how it came to refer to drag performance. So one folk etymology says that drag is an acronym for dressed resembling a girl. And you'll see it sort of floating around the internet, but overwhelmingly likely that it's an example of a backronym, which we've talked about on this show before. Which means um, an acronym that is applied to a word that already exists. Yeah, it's sort of like a retroactively applied acronym that is not actually how that word 
originated. Originated. Right. The more likely theory for drag is that it originated from、uh, the theater in the 19th century, when male actors would wear petticoats when they dressed as women, and the petticoats would drag on the stage. Maybe because they don't have like the curves to support. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not enough hip, <laughs> and so they'd say they were quote putting on their drags. I actually found one other、uh, theory in my research that the word drag was actually a Polari word. Have you heard of this language before? Yes, I have. Yeah. So, for those who don't know, this was a secret language used by basically society's outcasts, so circus people, sex workers, and the gay community in Britain in the 19th century or even earlier. So, this language is sort of an amalgamation of like rhyming slang, back slang, which means just saying words backwards.、Mm-hmm. Sailor slang and more, and in gay circles, this was used as a way to hide from authorities at times when homosexuality was outlawed. Right. So,、um, one of the earliest sort of more official uses of the word drag was in the Manual of Psychiatry in 1927. It defined it as an outfit of female dress worn by a homosexual.、And、the fact that it's like in the Manual of Psychiatry—that's already kind of showing how it was viewed. Yes. But like I said, drag now is a broader art form of gender expression, and through shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, it has gained huge popularity. But with popularity, often comes appropriation. Yes. And drag slang words like "yas," "slay," "gagging"—I'm cringing hearing myself say these words. Yeah, yeah. And so many more words that we'll get into later. As these words have become mainstream, they've kind of lost their original like context or meaning. Right. To start this conversation off, I talked to Kevin Nixon. He is a PhD candidate in anthropology at the University of Toronto, and his research is in the cultural politics of drag in Canada. Here's Kevin. You know, we can take these things up as you know aesthetics and for play and entertainment, but these are really important parts of real people's lives, and it's something we we often think about when we're talking about appropriation because it often seems like this. Sometimes it gets lost in these lofty ivory tower academic debates, but I think we're talking about you know、uh, loss and theft to some extent. You know that you know in some cases these are resistant strategies. You know, these are ways of actually on the ground combating things like racism, sexism, and their manifestations in more violent forms. Okay, first off, I just love that there's like an academic world of study around drag. That's really exciting. Yeah,、uh, Kevin said to me that the goal of his research was to complicate the idea of drag, which I really liked.、Mm. Um, basically, take a deeper, more intersectional look at the message that drag performance sends and how it can. Transgress norms, but also reinforce them at the same time. Ooh,、mm-hmm. Very cool. I'm glad that he brought up that point about how drag or drag lingo can be a way of combating racism and sexism. A lot of the words that are thrown around, we sort of have this like frivolous, fun attitude behind. But if you look into the history behind them, they have much darker roots. Like, have you heard the term "serving realness"? Yes, I have heard of that one. So this phrase is one of the ones that I feel like has been mainstreamed by cis straight culture.、Mm-hmm. People will say stuff like, "Oh, I'm serving cowgirl realness on Halloween," or like, "I'm serving Starbucks barista realness." Right. But this phrase, along with so many others, was originated by queens of color, especially Black trans women,、mm-hmm. in particular those in drag ball culture, which was an underground LGBTQ subculture where performers would dress up based on a category and compete for prizes. 
So I'd like to play a clip from the 1990 documentary Paris is Burning by Jenny Livingston. Have, have you seen it? No. You haven't seen Paris is Burning? It's on Netflix. I have no excuse. I'm bad. I'm bad, bad, bad. So if you haven't seen it, like Karina, um, it is a documentary that profiles drag culture in New York City in sort of the mid to late 1980s. In recent years, there's been criticism of the film in that it was made by a white woman, so it has a certain gaze to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lots to unpack about the film, but if you don't know much about drag culture in the 80s, it's sort of the film to watch. Yeah. You're about to hear a clip that features Dorian Corey, a drag performer who died in the 1990s. One fun thing about Dorian Corey, uh, who had an incredible career and life and contributed so much, but also after her death, a partially mummified male body was found in her possessions. What? Which had potentially been dead for over 15 years. What? So... When you're watching Paris is Burning, which you have to do, um, I'd like you to just think about the living room that Dorian Corey is speaking from and just imagine that there's a mummified body Wait, in the closet. In the, it was in the closet? <laughs> I think it was somewhere in the, in the wardrobe. How did, how did it get there? I don't know if there was ever any conclusive proof, but they were able to ID the guy and they thought maybe it was a, an ex-lover or... Wow. Because he died from a gunshot. <gasps> anyway, salacious. just a, a juicy tidbit before we get to hear Dorian Corey defining realness. All right. If you can pass the untrained eye or even the trained eye and not give away the fact that you're gay, that's when it's real. Fangy. Looking like the boy that probably robbed you a few minutes before you came to Paris's ball. The idea of realness is to look as much as possible like your straight counterpart. Shake the dice and steal the rice. Right here. Come on, baby. Later in Paris's Burning, Dorian Corey says, When they're undetectable, when they can walk out of that ballroom into the sunlight and onto the subway and get home and still have all their clothes and no blood running off their bodies, those are the femme realness queens. So, like Kevin was saying, it's about survival. Mm-hmm. Like passing as straight or passing as cis. Yeah. Yeah, and after hearing that, I feel like whenever I see, like, serving realness as, like, an Instagram gif on a story, it sort of, like, puts a bad taste in your mouth. Absolutely. Another example Kevin gave me of people appropriating or misusing a term was reading, which means to sort of insult playfully. Mm. Here's Kevin. Um, You know, we can think about something like reading, for instance, as being a popular term that a lot of people know now from RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, we we can see its origins in racialized queer communities in the U.S., and yet it's being taken up by a number of people. Um, You know, reading in and of itself is something that was kind of like a subcultural strategy for, in a lot of cases, for queer queens of color to resist things like racism, sexism, transphobia. And yet, you know, we might joke amongst friends, oh, you gave a good read. I mean, is that really what reading was about? And one of the issues with appropriation is we divorce something from its original context. Um, I want to bring in Dorian Corey again. You'll hear her define the word shade as well. But then when you are all of the same thing, then you have to go to the fine point. In other words... I'm a black queen and you're a black queen. We can't call each other black queens because we're both black queens. That's not a read. That's just a fact. So then we talk about your ridiculous shape, your fa- saggy face, your tacky clothes. Let me see what you are. Let's see. No paint. Oh, yes, it's no paint. Mother- it's paint. Girl. 
She wears more makeup than my mother. Then reading became a developed form where it became shade. Shade is, I don't tell you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly. And that's shade. That's great. (laughs) Later in Paris is Burning, Dorian Corey says it's not reading if it's between gay and straight people. It's only reading if it's within the gay community. And that's something that I think has been lost about it. Mm -hmm. Or another great example of this is the word yes, which I think is one of the biggest ones picked up by kind of the white girl population. Yeah, I can I can take this one. Oh, Uh, the podcast Reply All, which is one of my favorites. Same. One of my favorite podcasts. Um, actually did a short history of this word in their episode Disappeared. And I recommend you check it out because it gets into a lot of stuff that we don't have time to cover here. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I hate even saying it. Yes is an exclamation like yes, which comes from drag ball culture. But a lot of people associate the word with the TV show Broad City, which features Ilana Glazer, a white woman, and she uses the word a lot. Yeah. I feel like as someone who belongs to the exact group that appropriates the word yes, <sighs> yeah. my saving grace has always been that I cannot, for the life of me, pull it off. <laughs> uh, yeah. I From the beginning, I remember hearing people say it and not knowing that it was a drag thing. Mm. Um, but I remember it just like it started creeping in to like how people talked a while ago. And I remember even then being like, there's something wrong with this. Like there's <laughs> this just does not sitting easily on the tongue of like a white girl at a party. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it always squicked me out. <laughs> and then I started reading about it and it was like, oh, f- justified feelings. Great instinct, Karina. <laughs> Only specific people should be saying this, not the majority of people who are saying it now. And this is the huge complication of talking about appropriation within drag, because there are like certain people who I feel like pretty clearly like shouldn't be using the word. I'm talking about my own demographic, white, straight, uh, tend to be female who use that word. But then when someone is a part of the gay community, Mm -hmm. maybe there's different gradients of permission. Yeah. And then if they're within drag specifically, there's there's new levels. I mean, obviously we are not the gatekeepers on who's allowed to use what words. But the point is that it's not a black and white thing. Not at all. But if you're a white girl, you should probably stop using it. Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Kevin and I talked a little bit about how hard it is to define appropriation in the drag world to begin with. Um, And a lot of people felt like, um, you know, for a lot of uh, cisgender, you know, male-identified drag queens who, you know, drag was very limited to the performance context and when the performance is done, everything comes off and you present as male and identify as, as male. Um, felt that that maybe wasn't their terminology to use. Part of the issue here um, is is this issue of in-group versus out-group and the line between, you know, cisgender and transgender communities. Um, And that that is somewhat porous in some ways. And drag queens are a really interesting group to look at because they sort of straddle that boundary. And so it can get complicated in terms of, well, who gets to use what? and who gets considered in-group, and who gets considered out-group. I feel like there's two types of appropriation here. Mm-hmm. There is appropriation that is mainstreamifying, losing some original context, maybe losing some history. But then there's appropriation where someone is profiting off of 
innovations that have come from the drag community. Yes. And this is not obviously a new story. Madonna's Vogue came out in 1990 mm-hmm. and she profited off voguing, which is a dance form that originated in that drag ball culture that I talked about before. And in her video, she featured Willie Ninja, who's a drag ball legend. But now when we think about voguing, we see Madonna. We don't think about Willie Ninja or the people who actually created that dance form. Mm-hmm. These layers of appropriation is something that Kevin and I talked about uh, in our discussion. People outside of the drag world profiting off drag culture. Here's Kevin. You know, I think a lot of people where the anger comes from, I think, for folks is that, you know, uh, this is part of our language, part of our culture. And you're not even appreciating it. You're taking it, using it in a way that it's not supposed to be used, and you're benefiting from it. Mm whether that's material benefits or more um, symbolic ideological ones. Mm-hmm. And so I think we really, really need to think about that. I mean, we're talking about capitalism. I mean, are people now selling this stuff and making money off of something that doesn't belong to them? And on one level, you can argue that it's good news that drag has become more mainstream, meaning it's sort of more in the public eye. Drag queens are getting more work. But then does the history behind it get erased as a consequence of this mainstreaming? Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the commercialization of pride parades Mm. discussion that Mm. we have every Every year. Pride season. (laughs) Yeah. There's like an argument that, you know, the rainbow washing means that there's more acceptance for LGBTQ plus culture, but also the like protest that pride originated from, it's kind of diluted. Right. It's really hard for anything to be both profitable and subversive. Mm Mm-hmm. To talk about these complications, I sat down with Heath V. Salazar. Heath is a Latinx drag performer who uses they-them pronouns, and they perform under the drag king name Gay Jesus. It's a great name. (laughs) I wanted to talk to Heath both to get a Toronto perspective on this and because Heath's drag is something that we don't see represented in a show like Drag Race. A lot of the time, Drag Race has a very limited idea about what drag looks like. Okay. Almost exclusively is cis males performing in very feminized drag. Mm -hmm. But Heath's drag is subversive and pushes boundaries that drag race doesn't necessarily welcome. Cool. Here's Heath. The culture of like drag kings and gender within drag has changed so much in the past like five years. And especially because before it was so limited in what you were able to do. And sometimes there's like old school ways of thinking even now of like how you should and should not perform in drag. And like when I started, I thought I had to, like, be a dude. Do you know what I mean? And, like, wear a packer and, like, wear the pants and, like, put on a beard and, like, whatever. And I, the first time I ever performed in drag, I did it that way. But then the next time I was like, it doesn't feel like drag to me because I feel like I do that every day. And also being non-binary, it was like, what is the opposite of? Do you know what I mean? And, like, for me, because I identify, like, off the spectrum as, like, agender and trans non-binary, I'm like the opposite of my gender is gender itself. So did you and Heath get into talking about any specific vocabulary? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the term fishy? Outside of the meaning of, like, shifty? <laughs> hmm, something's fishy about this murder scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, no, not outside that context. Okay, this is a little bit different than Such that. Such a square. You are? God. Um, in the drag context... Looking fishy or serving fish, people might even say, means that somebody looks like a conventional cis woman. So the term fishy is sort of a crude way of talking about an aspect of the female anatomy. 
Got it. You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Great. But with drag like Heath's that, like they said, was kind of like a gender, these words are sort of out of place, right? So I wanted to talk to Heath about these gendered drag expressions. Mm -hmm. So like basically within drag, when you say something's fishy, it means it looks like the like conventional idea of what like a quote unquote like a woman would look like, like a cis woman. So it's funny because it's like a very specific term. When people say you look really fishy, it means that your drag doesn't look like it's exaggerated and like painted and over the top. And then so when people say uh, serving realness within ballroom culture, it's when you do things that like very much resemble what a like rich white woman who's cis would like look like and do. And so like it's very specific and it's so funny because people will just like scream and be like, you're serving realness. I'm like, do you have any idea what you're saying? No. Yeah. I mean, I think we can safely make the assumption that the people yelling that are not aware of the history of what they're yelling. Have you been to a lot of drag shows in Toronto? I haven't been to any in Toronto, but I went to several in Vancouver when I was living there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been to very many here, but they've always felt like really inclusive spaces in both cities to Mm -hmm. me, right? Mm -hmm. But as Heath pointed out, just because something is a gay space doesn't mean that it can't also have racist practices, for example. Here's Heath. And we don't question it because when we walk in those spaces, if they're the only spaces we have, we think that's the only way to exist within queerness. We find this home and then this part of this home is like this form of language that you think is belonging to you because it's something that is characteristic of like everyone around you that's using this thing and you think it's part of, you're like, oh, that gets to be a part of me because it's a part of like our community and it's not. People forget that under the makeup, there's a bunch of white cis men under there that are running these spaces, them being gay, not a factor. They're still cis white men and they still have the conditioning that our society has given them, right? If you finally find a community that feels like home and that home shares a linguistic pattern, it's going to follow that you're going to feel like that is yours. Mm -hmm. Those are your words. That's your dialect. That's the way you pronounce words. Right. Even if they don't belong to your community, racially speaking. Totally. On this show, we always talk about words and word choice, but there was another linguistic element that Heath brought up that I wanted to mention, and that makes this conversation even trickier to parse, if you can believe it. I'll let them tell you. Here's Heath. I know that there are certain drag shows that I don't attend because of the language they use. Oftentimes, it also ties into, like, um, like people talk a lot about in rap with black scent, and, like, that appropriation of like cadence it's like it's so jarring once you're you make yourself aware of it when i think of like the tongue clacking it's as simple as like a yes or the way that the inflection will be on words when they speak i like i feel so uncomfortable just saying that do you know what i mean but it's like when we think of like the really stereotypical things even watching the show i get so uncomfortable when i hear it it's almost like We're just taking years and years of history and just erasing all of it. Because queer history within itself is so spotty because it's been actively erased. Black history has been actively erased. We've watched documents be burned, you know? And here in Canada, we really like to pretend like these things don't exist here. So it almost becomes easier. And so whenever I hear that language, it's almost like burning the history books. That's really powerful. Uh, It's like tough to hear, obviously, but it's true. Totally. 
This is a good time to mention um, for this episode, we really wanted to share a couple different voices from the drag community and especially feature a black drag performer who can speak to the specifics of that appropriation. Um, we tried. We weren't able, which on a positive note means that drag performers in Toronto are working. Yeah, they are very busy. busy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just thought we should say that that's something we really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We're very grateful to Heath for, for their interview as well. So I'm guessing uh, Heath isn't a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. No, I, I don't think so. But they did make the point that drag races contributed a lot to the popularity of drag, which means, you know, a bigger audience for drag, more work for drag performers. And those are all good things. And in no way is this saying that, like, drag race should be canceled. No. No, it's about educating yourself and figuring out how you can appreciate drag culture respectfully, right? Because right. It, it is fun. And the, yeah. And the dictionary on drag slang obviously is endlessly inventive, mm-hmm. but that creativity was born in some cases out of oppression and out of a need for survival and for community. So we still haven't defined those words that you were quizzing me on off the top. Right, 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 right. Okay, um, let's do this rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Um, First one was uh, beating your face. Right, beat your face. Um, this means to apply makeup perfectly. Oh. So it means that you did your drag makeup really well. Oh, I, I feel like I have an excuse for not knowing that one because I don't wear makeup. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I get a pass. <laughs> okay, next word. Um, kiki. Kiki means like to gossip or chat. So you kind oh, of got I was it right. right. I was on the money. You were on the money. Yes, Good okay. Okay. And then the last one was, oh, sickening. You look sickening, which to yeah. me sounds like a grave insult. <laughs> Um, so sickening means, like, amazing, incredible, the best. Like, you look so incredible that I am gagging. And gagging is a different drag word that means, like, to react really intensely, usually in shock. Sweet. I feel like we should uh, sometime soon get together and you can, like, shepherd me through an episode of <laughs> Drag Race. I've got some people who I think will do a much better job. But yeah. we can, we can um, both benefit from a little tutoring session, I yeah, think, Yeah, that would sure. be great. And now you're released and you don't have to cringe hearing me say these words anymore. Yeah, I'm relieved. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> Word Bomb, a TVO podcast, is produced by me, Pippa Johnstone. And me, Karina Palmatesta. As always, with Word Bomb, we'd like to acknowledge that our show is recorded on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Thanks so much to our guests, Kevin Nixon and Heath V. Salazar, for their interviews. And those clips that you heard are from the documentary film Paris is Burning. Which is on Netflix, so check it out, Karina. Thanks to everyone at TVO, and thank you for listening. 